I'm rather passionate about leadership because I owe Legacy Church and the teachings of Pastor Baird and his sound doctrine through the Word of God um, for making it possible for me to even consider myself to be a leader. For me to stand before you today and, and have this opportunity to speak to you is truly a miracle, but it's because of the teachings of, what, of Jesus Christ and what he did and the way that Pastor adheres to that, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, it, that it's allowed me to come into this position. Um, the youth were with us tonight, and we're actually, we've been teaching about leadership here recently and talking about some of the aspects and dynamics of leadership and what it takes to be a leader. So I'm glad you can be here tonight, and I hope you receive from this teaching. This is uh, trimester three of School of Ministry. This is lesson five. Um, I believe you all have the syllabus with you, so just follow along with me as we go. Um, if, if it's all right with you, I'd like to use a few examples from my personal life. Can we take a little heat off the mic? As we go through this, I have some, a lot of examples, both B.C., that's before Christ, um, and, uh, and since I've been born again, that have really shaped and molded me as, a, as an individual. And um, I just want to interject those as, as we go along. But uh, the leadership secrets of Jesus, this is part one, and I'll tell you right now that there's going to be a lot of points to be made in regards to leadership and the teaching of Jesus. But uh, we have to understand that Jesus was the ultimate model of leadership. If you study his life, um, in fact, our whole vision, the, the way we function here as a local body, is based on the principles of Jesus Christ and his ministry and his walk and how he did ministry. And that's how we try to do ministry here at Legacy Church. Um, he epitomized kingdom success, uh, leadership, and principle. Now, it's true that none of us are going to be exactly like Jesus. Um, that shouldn't stop us from trying. But the, the fact is, none of us will ever be exactly like Jesus um, because he was both fully human and fully divine. However, he demonstrates to us what's, what leadership should be and what we should aspire to be like in regards to leadership. Um, and like I said, it's going to take several lessons to, to cover all the important points um, and the skills that, that Jesus uh, presented to us in the way of leadership. Um, but I'll tell you this, it's going to be, it's going to be worth it. And that, that song came to mind when I was preparing for this, but you know, we sing that it's going to be worth it, and it is. It truly is. And leadership, uh, especially in this day and age, um, it'll come to pass here soon. Pastor's going to reveal his heart on some of the issues globally that, I, that have been pressing on him and, and should be on us as well as a people. But if we're going to be world changers, and I believe that's what we're called to be, is world changers, and we should impact and influence our local our, our local. Um, surroundings and, and even ultimately global happenings, um, we're going to have to get a hold of what leadership looks like and how to be leaders and how to function under leadership. So um, let's, let's move forth in this. You know, there's problems in life. There's always going to be problems. There's problems in this world. It's a, it's a fallen world. We were born into a fallen world. We've, we were born in sin, and problems are just a part of what we have to face on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I want you guys to understand that the key to success, it really isn't to avoid problems in life. It, if you live your life trying to avoid problems, you're only going to fail because there's problems that aren't always under your control. 
um, happiness, the true happiness is going to come from your ability to solve the problem that you're facing. And it takes a leader to do this. Jesus Christ was a problem solver. I think we can all agree on that. He solved the biggest problem that we all will face, and that is that of salvation and, e and eternal life. Um, if you consider a few problems you might have in life, I'm just going to throw these out there, but for one, legal problems. If you have legal, legal problems, you're going you're to call a lawyer. Car troubles, a mechanic. Physical problems, you're going to call a doctor. Jesus solves the problems of the heart. Guilt, by providing forgiveness. Bondage, free, by providing freedom and deliverance. Sickness, by providing healing. He brought solutions to these problems. And this is a huge thing because um, one of the stories I wanted to bring forth was when I was 13 years old, my dad got me a job in a welding shop. At 13 years old, you're really not that responsible. Um, he, my dad would drop me off in the morning. He'd go to work, and on his way home, he would pick me up. Well, while I worked, I basically just, I was, I was sweeping the shop. That was my job. And I pointed out a problem one day. And I remember, I, I cannot tell you the gentleman's name who I worked for. I don't even really remember what he looked like, but there's something that he said to me at that age that just sunk in and it stuck, and I've never been able to forget it. And that was, when I brought him a problem, he said, son, listen to me. He was gentle about it, but he said, listen. Before you bring me a problem, I want you to ponder on the solution. And when you present to me the problem, I want you to have a part of or the whole solution. I thought... I, Personally, I felt it was a little reprimanding. I thought, ooh, ow, I'm sorry, I won't, I won't point it. But as, I, as it sunk in and as I matured, I realized that, wow, how revelational. And I've, I've clung to that throughout my life. And at every job that I've ever taken, be it working for the fish store, which I did, the country club, um, anywhere that I worked, it, it, I was thrust into leadership rapidly because... I didn't point out problems all the time. I would simply go to my supervisor and try to bring a solution. And while I wasn't ready to be a leader or a manager, per se, they thought I was because I got that one principle, that single principle. And that will help you along so greatly. So you need to ask yourself, are you a problem solver or a problem creator? Some people feel called to be the problem. Or point out the problem, which in, in a lot of cases, we, we do that. It happens in church life. It happens in, if you ever worked in an office or with another person, you know what I'm talking about. Um, some create problems or find problems. But the key to leadership is to help solve the problems. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be the solution to that problem. But there at least should be, if you endeavor to be a leader, there should be an aspect of your being that would want to help solve the problem. And that links to something. And passion always shows. And as I was pondering on this point, um, I realized that in order for someone to have a heart to solve a problem, you're probably going to need to be passionate about that thing, whatever you're involved in, be it work, uh, your church, your family, whatever it might be. And... Um, Jesus had a vision, and therefore, he had, he had resolution in his being, in his spirit, and he was passionate about that vision. His vision was to see us made whole 
and rejoined with the Father who created us. That was his, that was his vision. He lived his life to walk out an example for us to follow that we might be able to not only emulate him, function properly on this earth, but be a part of the problems, be a part of the solution. And that's what we're here to do. As Christians walking, living in this earth, if we believe in the Word of God, then we believe that we are each integral parts of the solution to the problems that the world faces. And I'm not talking about political. I'm not talking about environmental. I'm talking about eternal. Okay, it's really important. On that note, we cannot doubt the Word of God. We cannot doubt the purpose that we have in Christ. We have to understand who we are in Christ. We have to link up with the vision that Jesus Christ set before us. Now, here at Legacy Church, we do our best to... We don't, we don't create vision. We don't create programs. We try not to, to stray from the Word of God and His whole Word. We try to implement it in a practical way that's, re, that's revelant... Revelant? Rev, yeah, revelatory. Relevant is really what I was looking for. But that's relevant to our, our individual lives. If we doubt, it surfaces, it shows. Anybody who's ever doubted or dealt with someone who is doubting something, a car salesman, for instance. I've talked to a car salesman who really wasn't sold out for this vehicle that he was selling. And as a result, I wasn't sold out for it. I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't get the passion. I didn't feel his, his exuberance for this car. And therefore, I mean, it could have been the greatest thing since sliced bread, but I missed it because he didn't have a passion for it. Your thoughts have presence. We can usually see it on your face before you even say it. And that's the truth. Thoughts can draw people towards you or push them away. If we're going to be in leadership, first of all, we need to be in love, sold out for Jesus Christ. We need to be sold out. And that means there's nothing left of us to ponder or um, consider, maybe this isn't true, I'm, just, I'm still trying to figure this out. If there's a doubt, it's going to be revealed. And there's people that walk in these doors every week that need the Holy Spirit. They need their lives to be transformed. And they're relying, at first, on other people to bring them into the presence of God. We open the altars. Pastor prays, but the real work is done through the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, so many people are cut off from the, the access to that Holy Spirit because we don't invite them in. We don't, we don't allow them to be brought to that place. Just like I wasn't able to buy that car, it could have been the best thing I ever owned, but I never got it because I didn't link up to that person. In fact, I felt like this is kind of greasy. I, I'm, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. And I was turned away. And that happens in churches all across America every single day. It's a sad truth, but it's the truth nonetheless. Attitude. You know, I know we're all born, we all have a, a, our own dispositions, but we need to consider our attitudes. Kelly and I talk about this on a, on a, from time to time uh, in regards to our own attitudes, and we try to keep ourselves in check. If she notices something in me that might not be um, whole or clean or crisp, or maybe I'm just having a downtime, God is great. He will cause her to have a great day on the days that I don't feel too jolly and, and vice versa. So we tend to balance each other out. And I think that's what he meant by equally yoked. It's kind of cool because that, that does work. But our attitude says so much. Um, we have a vision here at Legacy Church. It's the vision of Jesus Christ and what he taught. And um, we've got to believe in the vision if we're going to demonstrate passion. 
eventually your doubts are going to surface. A long-term leader must believe in what he's linked to or he, or he or she is linked to. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about being entertained anymore. Churches are all across America are doing this, this dog and pony show, serving cotton candy. Now, mind you, there are many ministries that are doing a wonderful work in the earth, but there's a lot of these big, blown-up mega churches that are serving cotton candy to their members every single day. And how many of you know you cannot live for a long time eating cotton candy? You're going to die of lethargy eventually. Um, but we've got to be, we've, we've got to consider what we're doing here at Legacy Church. And as long-term leaders now, you've got to be linked up to the vision in order to participate in a way that's going to be effective. Any, any one of us can, can participate if we've gone through the process, but there's got to be a, a passion in order for us to be effective. It says on your sheet, number one, after point B, um, why should others buy into what you have doubts about? And that falls back on the, the passion. Um, leadership is commitment. Commitment is time-consuming and sacrificial. Leadership will cease being a joy if you lose your passion for what you're doing. I love my family. I have two little girls, Isabella Rose and Madeline Grace. After work, I come home to my family, and it is, it is truly um, a joy, and I love every minute of it. But I can assure you, those of you who are parents in here, you know that there's sacrifice involved in raising your children. But if you're in love with them, it's not a job necessarily. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the greatest sacrifice ever. But if you lose your passion, if, and it, I think about a guy sitting in his garage till 2 o'clock in the morning working on this car because he sees the end result. He's working. He's putting off other responsibilities. The football game's on, but he's more involved in this car. He wants it to happen. I see Gary over there. His eyes are like, I can link up with that guy. But he's, he's, he's involved. He's passionate about it. He sees what the end result's going to be, and he'll put countless hours in and count it all joy. Now, there'll be some frustrating moments, I'm sure, but he still goes back to it. And, and that's passion. That's what it looks like. I see somebody, I mean, coming in greasy, going to work the next day, tired and sore and, you know, oil and grease under his fingernails because he's just been working so hard and diligently on this thing, this hobby. And that's just a car. How much more valuable would it be to be plugged into a local body and to be so sold out that the time spent, it's not a chore, it's not a task. There's no grumbling and, oh, bother, I've got to go back to this and do that again. And they never, you know, appreciate and I, I'm always in... That's, that's, you see the difference there? When you lose your joy, if you lose your passion, then it becomes tedious and, and a task on you. And that shouldn't be what, what serving Christ is all about. Jesus was a person of integrity. Now, I'll tell you this right now, that um, Pastor, we all know he's not Jesus, right? I think we all can, all can attest to that. But um, he, he teaches me a lot. I, I, he's my dad. He's my spiritual dad. And um, I love him dearly. And I remember coming into his office the first day that I had an opportunity to sit and speak with him in regards to um, my desire to get plugged into this local body. And he just kind of sat back in his chair. And I was concerned that he wasn't as excited about this, this potential as I was. Because I thought, you know, 
you know, this is a major thing for me. I didn't realize now I do, but the, I mean, it happens all the time. Folks come into his office and they'll sit down and they'll say, I'm, I'm on fire. I want to do this thing. I want to, I want to teach. I want to preach. I want to, I, I want to, I want to save the world. Put me, just put me up front and center. I, I'm just, man, if you could just bottle the energy and passion I have right now, we can power Charleston for a month. And he just sat back and he listened to me. And finally it got to the point where he said, let me tell you something, Noah. I can usually tell in about six months if you're serious or not. I said, well, I didn't understand what that meant. He said, give me six months and I'll tell you where your passion is. And I thought, what a, how, I just, I, do, you, do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I felt, I mean, all kinds of things, but none of them was good. Well, I left his office and um, it took weeks and months and, you know, I, I kind of came down off that cloud and I realized, okay, I, I see where he's going. And now, years into it, I understand so clearly what he meant by that. And that's because I know in your, in your syllabus it says liars are eventually exposed. My heart wasn't to lie to him. I was just, I had a, I was in, I was on fire. There was something in me that was burning that wanted everything about Jesus Christ. I wanted to quit my job. I wanted to become a monk and just live in the sound booth. I mean, I just wanted to, to, to come here and just dwell in this house. I didn't want to go home. And over time, you know, you just, you take your hits and life comes back to you and, you know, Mondays work and I understood it. Well, in my case, I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord that I've, I've maintained a passion and a zeal for the Lord. But over the years that I've been in, in, in church life, I've seen folks that come in and they have that same story. They sounded just like me and I get all wound up and I'm like, oh, come on, you know, let's go, let's do this thing. You know, it's, Oh, it's, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. And they don't come back next week. And I never see them again. Or if I do, it's weird. It's awkward. Or, and I understand now that, that there's, and I'm not calling them liars necessarily, but it's important that, that we consider that. Anyone who wants to participate in church wants to know that they're looking at honest people and trustworthy leaders. People do hate misrepresentation. I understand this more now, and I'm sure you guys can agree that when folks come into the church and they bring their child and they're going to entrust them to the children's ministry, it will make them feel a lot better to understand and to realize that those that are in leadership that are teaching their children have gone through a process to weed out those who aren't serious about sowing into their children. It just does something. It makes you feel better to know that we didn't just pick any random person out of the congregation to just go watch the kids this week. Leadership is very, a very valuable thing and for every church, but we want to grow disciples. We want the distractions to be to a minimum. And if we can eliminate concerns like that just through our leadership and willingness to submit, then that'll, that'll help tremendously in the overall scheme of things. Um, Jesus never painted a distorted picture. He was not a used car salesman. I told you about that earlier. He wasn't just trying to close the salvation deal. Just like here at Legacy, he taught the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that's so important because, you know, there's... True leadership is preparing those under you for reality. The reality is when you gave your life to Christ, the problems didn't cease to exist. 
life didn't become, you know, a, a river flowing with milk and honey miraculously. At least didn't for me. I can't speak for everyone. But for each one of us, there's trials and tribulations that we continue to go through. In fact, I believe it to be true that as soon as we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become marked. We get a, a target on us. And, and, you know, I don't want to give uh, him any airtime, but it's true that, that the enemy does tend to, to try to take us off track. He wants us to lose our salvation. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And as soon as we have something for him to steal, kill, and destroy, he's going to go after it. What better to try to steal, kill, and destroy than eternal salvation and eternal separation from him being Satan? So it's important that as leaders we, we explain to, to people and prepare those who are coming into the ministry and, and into the life of Christ and joining our family as Christians that we fill them in on, on everything that, uh, that we can. Another is uh, when we're at church, when you're at work, when you're around family, at family reunions, it's important to keep your antennas up. Because if you, if you know through reading the Bible, Jesus hung around people. He looked for people. He was, a, he was a seek and save kind of guy. He would go to the low places. He would seek out those that were hungry, poor, dying, sick. And he surrounded himself with those types of people because those were the ones that needed him. He sacrificed so much to give himself while he was living to those who were in need. And if we want to emulate him, we need to be that way as well. We need to, to be aware in our surroundings of those who are in need. Those long-lost friends. Now, I'm not telling you guys to go to the local bars and hang out and try to, you know, see who you can, you know, witness to. Within context, there are those around you, and the Lord will place divine appointments in your life. And they come in, in all shapes and sizes. And we need not, uh, we just need to keep our antennas up, folks. We really do. If we're going to truly be disciples of Christ, we need to be willing to look for those who are in need of salvation. And um, present them with the gospel so that they can hear the truth. And the truth will set them free. You will not set them free. The truth will set them free. And as they submit to Jesus Christ and his teachings and get plugged into a local church where they can exercise and, and walk those, those precepts out, those are the things that help people progress in life. It's not you. So I want to encourage you not to be the, the salvation person going around and trying to be that person for everyone because you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to burn your candle from both ends and ultimately you're not going to have anything to give and it's, it's just a, it's a hard thing. But you do need to keep your antennas up and be willing and ready to sacrifice to go out and do that. Another is uh, stay after church, talk and fellowship. You know, lunch is a funny thing. You know, it starts talking to you halfway through service. And people tend to want to get out there to get to Piccadilly's before the Baptists do. And that's a bad joke. But people tend to try to get out, you know, and as leadership, it's important that we're here in the house of God. For those who come in and visit, you know, we need to make it a point to go out and, and shake hands, introduce ourselves and make people feel comfortable. You know, we need, to be a, we need to be a place that is full of people, not religious people, but people who care, people that are willing to sit down and listen to you and build relationships. Jesus Christ was a relationship builder. He was the master of relationships. And that's what he was involved in. That's what his ministry was. It was relationship building. And he didn't have Facebook and Twitter and, and blogging. He did it face-to-face, -face, loving on people, hugging on people, buying 
um, the Samaritans, you know, lunch and put them up in the inn when they couldn't afford it after the, you know, there, he did some things that were unorthodox and we need to get back to those practices today. Um, one of the points that I wanted to make here is that you're going to, you're never going to possess what you're unwilling to pursue. We have not because we ask not as another, another one, but we, we're never going to possess what we are unwilling to pursue. We have no right to any relationship we do not pursue. And that's the truth. Jesus left the presence of angels and the Father himself to go be with people. He went to where people were hurting. He went to the lame. He went to the blind, the poor, and the ignorant. Now, it's not that wealthy people aren't worth um, going to, but it just seems like, and it did in his day as well, that those who, who put their confidence or had somewhere else to put their confidence usually placed it there. And for a lot of folks that have... Uh, money or stature, they tend to, to put their confidence in those things. But those who are lame, lost, blind, and sick, and don't and and don't have a, a another option, they're typically the first ones to give their life to Christ. Jesus put on a big feast, and he invited all the well-to-dos. Nobody showed, so they went out to the highways and byways, and not, they brought in all the desperate, and they were they were happy to receive. And so it's important that that we. We not alienate one or the other, but be aware and, and be sensitive to that as well. Um, planning is a big thing. And I know, you know, Pastor wrote this outline if he's talking about planning. <laughs> Pastor is a big planner. I'm learning to be a big planner. And it's so helpful, especially if you're going to be in a position where you are sowing in to anybody. Um, think about how God scheduled perfectly the birth, life, crucifixion, and resurrection of the Lord before the foundation of the earth. I think that's just amazing. Before it all started, he already had, it was already done. And it, that just blows me away. He scheduled the marriage supper already for his people. When I mean, it's already ready to go. I think it's going to be great. We're going to have name tags. You know, have you ever been to a function where you had printed name tags? It, doesn't it feel like it's official when you walk in? They're like, oh, you must be Noah Pruitt. Here you go. And they give me the name tag. Hey, you were, you were expecting me. It felt good. But if somebody had to scratch one down with a Sharpie marker, it tends to not feel the same. <laughs> Noah planned the building of an ark. Moses planned the tabernacle. Solomon planned the temple. It's important, guys. If we're going um, to be in leadership or give any oversight to anything, it shows people you care when you've planned. And even on the smallest of Bible studies, even if it's just you're having... You know, a, a fellowship lunch at your house, and you're just having you know, a casual thing. If you put in a little energy, a little effort, guys, let me tell you, when you go on dates, when you and you do go on dates, take your wife on dates, but plan something. If there were flowers on the table when you got to the restaurant, I mean, that just it says something, doesn't it, ladies? I mean, wouldn't you agree? I see Andrew over here. It it really does. It says something. It says I thought in advance. And that little thing, that one phone call, made such a big difference. It made you a hero. And it, it works that way in, in all leadership aspects um, as well. Um, Jesus knew that people would reject him and what he had to offer. Understand, folks, that rejection is not fatal. It's not. It's simply a person's opinion. Um, Jesus experienced more rejection than anyone on earth. Did he quit? Did he allow himself to have a pity party? I don't think so. If, if we will get into perspective the persecution and rejection that our Savior 
experienced, and we want to walk in His footsteps, then we just need to grow up. Because we have a tendency to, to get hurt at the lightest things. The key to critics is to realize that they're going to die, but the vision lives on. Your decision lasts longer than their rejection. Ultimately, we're going to have to move beyond the scars and the hurts. Not everyone's going to celebrate or welcome you. Find those who want you and will have you and, and hang around them. Position yourself around them. No one bats a thousand with people. That's for sure. Shake, out, shake the dust off your feet and find those you can link up with. It's hard sometimes when you're, when you're grounded in the truth and you're not one for shenanigans or um, sideshows. And I've noticed that as, as I was raised, my mom was sold out for Christ. She's led by the Holy Spirit and she's weird in that regard. And even, even churchgoers would look at her and say, well, yeah, it's just a little, a little too spiritual. But the truth is, she just was sold out. She died. Christ lives. And as we live, we should die. Let Christ live through us. And in doing that, you're going to find yourself unreceived in a lot of circles, even those that are religious circles. We don't consider ourselves to be religious, but they're folks that that consider themselves Christians that won't have a, anything to do with you because they just their condemnation sets in when they're around you. And you're not that you're doing it. There's conviction. It just sets in because of the very presence of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. But we need to make it a point to, to surround ourselves with people that are, that are like-minded. And what better to, place to do it than with folks that are in our church? Now... When it comes to, to church life and, and all things that happen, I understand the freedom that we experience in the Holy Spirit and the freedom we experience as Christians. But there's an order. God is a God of order. He truly is. And He established authority in the earth that there might be order. And all authority was set in place by Him. Didn't we talk about that just recently, young people? He is the one that sets authority in place. And it's up to us to respect Him and fall under the authority that he's placed over us. Ultimately, your success as individuals is going to be affected by your authority, be it in church life, um, at work, at home, young people. I'm telling you right now, your parents are the ones that uh, direct you which way to go, and you need to respect them as your authority. We need to honor those who have lived and walked before us because they possess a wealth of knowledge and experience that could be a gold mine. Truly a gold mine, and I'm in I'm in a trade right now. I, I as most of you know, I work in the construction industry, and um, I just get excited whenever I'm around someone who knows more than I do, because I love to pick their brain, and just save myself the strife and headache that I'm going to run into when I go to do this job or that job, and that that is true in construction as much as it is in every other walk of life. If you can get around someone who's older than you and has walked through the path before you, you want to you want to take advantage of that opportunity, respect them, and bless them, bless those um, in authority. If you're wrestling with every instruction you're given, then you got to check your heart. Mentorship is the key to extraordinary success, and Jesus understood this and demonstrated this carefully by honoring even our earthly authority. Don't kick against the goads. 
Just don't do it. You know, there's there's ultimately a time. If any of you, I know we have an equestrian in the in the room somewhere, don't we? Somewhere around there. If you've ever heard of a bit in a horse's mouth and they just tend to want to, they hate it. It's no, it's not good. Well, ultimately, when they quit resisting, it's really not that bad. It's just it, it gives them direction. It allows the person in authority to keep them out of a ditch, to keep them to keep them on track. And Christ. We function under Christ and the authority He places over us in much the same way. The more we resist, the, the more it hurts. But if we would just submit and understand and have faith and trust that He, it's His desire that we not be put into a bad position, then it would make that a lot easier. Jesus never discriminated. We need to treat people right, guys. We need to stop prejudging people. Um, first impression is always limited and could be very wrong. Your intuition is not always correct. Just recently we saw a movie Kelly and I did um, that hit that nail on the head and it was a, it was about a youth group and a, and a youth pastor. To Save a Life was the name of it. Some of you may have seen it. And it was just so amazing how even in church circles that it, during a sermon about judging, judging has taken place. And there's, there's backbiting and all the rest that happens. And it's just, it's really frustrating. And we can't look at other denominations and other folks and, and try to, to gauge ourselves or, or, or add value to ourselves by their shortcomings or vice versa. It's just, it's not worth it. We stand before God alone on Judgment Day. Knack it. <laughs> we have nothing to hide. We have nothing we can hide. He's going to see through you. And you're not going to be able to stand before him and point the finger at someone else. So don't do it now. Don't waste your time here on this earth with this precious life pointing the finger at others when you can be focusing on him. Jesus was comfortable with people from every walk of life. This is really important. Um, the South, we live in, a, we live in the South. It's a, it's a unique place. Family and tradition rules in the South. And as a result, it, it tends to shape and mold how we live, who we live around. Um, it just really creates a lot of segregation. And I, I want to encourage you as Christians to realize that when you died, you died to the South. You died to tradition. You died to curses and all those things in our lives that tend to keep us from, from being more like Christ. Jesus Christ surrounded himself with all different kinds of people. And we need to make sure that we are willing to do that if we're going to win the loss. We need to re go for the word. You know that Christ called us to go into all the earth. And I guarantee you that you're not going to find a southerner in, well, New York for one. But you go overseas. And I mean, they're, they're, you just need, we need to break out of that, that mentality. If we're a prejudiced person, there's just no place for kingdom leadership. There's just, there's just no place. Jesus kept critics into perspective. And this is important because critics are just spectators. They're not players. And this became a reality for me here just recently. We had a football outing, and I'm quarterbacking, and I'm, I see everybody running out there screaming, Noah, Noah, throw it to me, throw it to me. And I'm in there, and I'm trying to figure out who to throw it to, and it just looks like a bunch of people running around. And had I been sitting in the stands, and I do this often as I'm watching a, a a football game on television. I'm like, oh, you should have thrown it to this person. You know, I'm, I'm, I could tell him what he should have done, what he shouldn't have done. And I could, man, just let me in there. Just let me in there. I'll show you how to do it. 
Well, the truth is, when I was in there, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't. And critics are the same way. They're going to sit there and they're going to tell you how to live your life. They're going to pick and spot. and they, They're not even going to be able to see past the plank in their eye to pick out your speck. But nonetheless, they try anyway. And there's not going to be... You just have to understand that that's the reality. The reality is if you're in the game and you're going out and trying to win souls, you're not going to be perfect. If you're going out to reach the lost, you're not going to be perfect. If you're ministering to your friends, you're going to wish you said this. You're going to, somebody else is going to tell you, you should have said that. But the truth of the matter is we just need to be in the hunt. And, and take critics as a grain of salt because it's, it's, it's not worth it. Um, Jesus understood timing. This is critical. Speaking of timing, how much time do I have? Not much. All right, there's a right time and a wrong time for everything. Jesus spent, get this, guys. Jesus spent 30 years preparing. Whoops, i got to stay in the. Jesus spent 30 years preparing for a three-year ministry. That blows me away. And when I think of Sarah and Abraham, and I mean, you can go, I can go through the list. But the fact is, timing is everything. And you're not in control of timing. We are to persevere. And we are to press in. And we just, we just need to, we need, we need to stay on course. Jesus on occasion said, on occasion, he said, my hour is not yet coming. John 2, 4, when he was speaking to his mom at that, at that wedding, he understood the timing of approaching um, people in ministry. He, under, he, he sees the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen. We just need to let our faith rest in him and his teachings and do our best to live out all that we've learned in, from his word and just leave the timing up to him. When you pray, he hears you. When you request something that is his heart, he's going to do it. Rest assured. I asked for my dad to be saved. I wanted him saved more than anything. I didn't ask him to, to give my dad cancer. And I'm not saying that he's sadistic enough to say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him cancer so he has a new appreciation for life and then he comes to me. I don't know all the ins and outs, but I know that my dad was saved before he died. And I asked that a long time ago. And I just wanted it to, be, to become reality, and he did it. It wasn't in my timing, it wasn't in my method, but who cares? It's not, it's not for me to judge. People are always in different seasons of life. There's a time to wait and a time to present, a time to speak and a time to just be quiet. In dealing with leaders, as if you're going to be under someone, be tactful in how you present something. When you're going to present that solution we talked about, just be tactful when you do it. Don't. I mean, it's it's important. Sunday morning is not the best time to present an earth-shattering bit of news to pastor. Don't be offended if you don't get all of his attention on Sunday morning. If you're trying to present something like that, um, or one of the teachers maybe in Planet Shakers, if you bring something to Tyler's attention, you can't expect him to just devote all of that to him on Sunday morning. Um, we've got to have a sense of timing. In the same regard, Jesus never seemed rushed or in a hurry. We've got to look for the reward in the present season. This is so valuable. Look for the reward in the present season and not always for the greener pasture around the corner. God has given us now. We are not guaranteed later. Take and savor every moment you have. And I know it sounds cliche, but look for the silver lining in every rotten situation. Because believe me, if you are truly in the, in the hunt, Christ will allow you to get 
in low places that you might be elevated to the mountaintops. And it's an amazing thing that when you've gone through something, and I see so many ministries, even represented here in this room, that your testimony is so powerful only because you had to live through a rough season. And if you knew in that rough season, if for the joy set before you, as Christ said, that you would have a ministry and be such a tool for some people in need because you had to go through that time, then I think you would have respected Christ and, and God during that time and not been so down on them and said, you know, you're not with me. You've left me. You're not real. And all the things that people say, when the reality is he's preparing you for ministry that no one else could have done. Let me conclude with this. We need to ask ourselves some of the things that we can work on to shape and mold our lives. I want to start by presenting to you the potential that you start to acknowledge authority in your life. Look, look for the authority in your life and look forward to coming under authority because there is blessing under authority. If you can picture authority as an umbrella in a storm, the fact that you can come under that is such a blessing. It's an amazing thing that we need to appreciate and learn that it's a reality that God has set in place that we can get out of the storm if we... So many of us just live getting battered by the elements because we're so unwilling to submit and get under the umbrella of the authority. Um, let, let's pray.